in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Uh, just have felt impressed to go through the book of Romans. I don't know, it might be Andy Follett's fault. He was been preaching through Romans at the, at the home. Maybe that got in my mind, I don't know. Um, but uh, nonetheless, that's where we're at today, where I feel led of God uh, to preach from. You know, we're coming to the last chapter of what we outlined as the dispensational portion of Romans. I've been trying to repeat uh, as far as uh, an outline goes for the book of Romans, just to help us to, to understand it and to catalog it a little better. The first eight chapters of Romans are very doctrinal in nature. The last five chapters of Romans, for alliteration's sake, deal with our duty as Christians. And the middle part, chapters 9, 10, and 11, deal with the past, present, and future, particularly of the nation of Israel, uh, but also as Israel relates to the Gentile believers and the present-day church, what we call uh, the dispensational part. In other words, a study of, of time through uh, the Israelites and the, and the people around that. Now, chapter 9 of Romans began with Paul having great heaviness and sorrow in his heart for his kinsmen, the Jews. He goes back in their history, recalling the special calling of God to his nation. Chapter 10 begins with Paul's desire in his present time of writing for the Jews. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Chapter 11 is the text that I will be preaching from this morning. This chapter deals with the future of Israel. Paul leads the chapter with a question. He says in Romans 11:1, I say then, hath God cast away His people? And he wastes no time in the answer. He immediately says, God forbid. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of of Benjamin. God forbid, he says. It's an absolute. No way, no question about it. God has a future plan for the nation of Israel. He's setting up this chapter to look into the future of Israel. Paul uses the, this rhetorical question technique with a God forbid response ten times in the book of Romans. It will be used twice in chapter 11. He will use it in 1 Corinthians once and Galatians three times for a total of 14 times in the New Testament. Besides one reference in the book of Luke, Paul has exclusive use of this phrase in the New Testament. Paul utilizes this style of communication as an, as an emphatic way to establish some very clear doctrinal points. He's not done with Israel. God forbid. Paul in chapter 11 is going to give some of God's reasonings in his dealings with the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul, through the inspiration of God, will take us in a path of understanding to the who, the what, the when, and the where. He will lead us up to the very precipice of why. But the chapter ends as a man looking to God as into a vast ocean or as the vulnerability in the middle of a great hopeless desert or upon the very edge of a treacherous cliff. 
It is a place where understanding can go no farther. In the past, in a certain chapter of Romans, we went back and we seen that there's a certain depth we can get to of understanding, but there's limits. It's a place where we seem so small and God is so big. A place where we are cautious to go no further, but a place to be still, to let all your senses breathe in the majesty of God, to give Him all glory. Psalms 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming forth out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. For those who have visited the beaches, the rugged coast, the beautiful mountain ranges, the great canyons, and vast deserts of sand, or endless waves of crops. It is the sense that describes the word all. All. I will entitle the message, Who, What, Where, When, and All. That's a little bit longer one for you today. In our journey through Romans, Paul begins in chapter 1 with a warning to mankind who comes to the precipice of God's majesty and refuse to give Him glory, honor, thanks, and the praise He is worthy of. Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so, they, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Paul starts out the book of Romans with those who refuse to believe, who come to that precipice and don't give God the glory. He deserves. Paul continues through the book of Romans, paving a road of doctrinal and relational understanding of how God sees man. The road ends in chapter 11 describing how man should view God. But before we wade into chapter 11, I should properly equip you with a few things so you don't get sidetracked. Easy to get sidetracked in this unless you have some of these understandings. There are words like predestination, elect, and foreknowledge. These words speak of the omniscience of God. These words belong to God. We accept them as attributes of God, but we cannot provide human comprehension of them. It is no different than God being a creator to make something from nothing. That's the true definition of creation. We can't attain to that. We attribute creation to God, but the closest we come to it is making something from something or discovering something that already exists. We kind of like to put that creative thought on that, but really, God owns 
the thought of creation. We can't even understand it. This is what, these attributes are what makes God, God, and man, man. The people that are addressed in this, number two, the people that are addressed in this chapter are people groups in generality. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. This is not individual. It's not coming down into individual people. It would be similar to a teacher referring to her class or disciplining a class. Or when something is said of a country. And uh, no comments on this, like America is a Christian nation now. Okay. What is meant by that is that the majority of the people of that nation have a faith, a church, a religion that is Christian-based. Not all are Christians, but as a whole, they are. That's what it's trying to refer to. Paul said in Romans 9, 6, if you remember, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Number three, a remnant is a small piece of a whole. The continuance of God's grace to mankind has always, if you look at it, has always been by a remnant of true believers, Gentile and Christian alike, all through time. Number four, the olive tree referred to here is Israel. The wild olive tree is the Gentiles. And then I want you to understand some things about the olive tree and about husbandry. Cutting dead branches are branches that are not connected to the vine that, so because they're not connected, they die. They cannot bear fruit. They are removed by the husbandman and forever destroyed by burning. They're thrown into a pile to be, to be burned. Grafting is a process of removing a branch from the vine of one tree and permanently attaching it to the vine of another tree. Pruning is the removing of parts of branches that are unfruitful to stimulate more fruit growth within that same branch. If any of you have done some of that, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll have a good understanding of what all that means. Uh, in John 15.1, he says, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withereth. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So with these thoughts established, let us begin to look at Romans chapter 11. But let's begin with prayer. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you speak to our hearts today. Get the message that you want 
to each individual here today. Lord, it is important. Today is important. Now is the time to hear your word, to respond to it as your Holy Spirit leads and guides in our lives. Now, Father, we trust you for the message this morning. Uh, help me uh, to, to use my mouth as, as I should. And Lord, but it's you that gives the increase. It's all of you. And we'll thank you for it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, in Romans 11.1, 1, we've already talked about this verse. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I am also, also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, God is not done with Israel. He's not done with them today. It is a true that the age of the church it's the age of the church, and it has its prominence as a branch of God's work through mankind today. We will see that in general, Israel is not the center of godly worship today. The church is. Verse 2 says, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets. And dig down thine altars, and I am left alone. And they seek my life. It's all going to end with me. He's saying, once I'm gone, it's forever gone. <laughs> but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So we see here Israel is not completely dead. There is a remnant. If you remember Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. Remember Paul mentioned, and also to the Greeks. Salvation came to all, but the Jews were first in line. Israel became religious though establishing their own righteousness, and as a religious whole refused the righteousness of God provided through Christ. But there were some, a remnant, Jewish believers, who became what we call today as Messianic Jews. Jews who believed on Christ. These were those who God already knew would come to Christ. They are referred to as the election of grace in verse 5. <clears throat> Verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. <clears throat> Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul is speaking of the means of salvation. The means of it. He makes sure there is no mixing of the way of salvation here. The Jewish Christians no longer tried to obtain salvation through the keeping of the law. They obtained salvation through grace, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul shows works and grace as polar opposites here. Similar to how he tells us the flesh and the spirit are totally opposite. Again, this is referring to the means whereby we obtain salvation. Once we have obtained salvation... And we talked about this in James. We are called to do good works as an exercise of our faith. James 2.17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. 
I'll show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 7 of our text in Romans chapter 11. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. Paul describes here that Israel as a whole will not accept Jesus as the Messiah in this church age. But as a small piece torn from a garment, only a remnant of Israel shall believe and enter into the church age. He calls these Jewish believers, he refers to them as the election. The election does not refer to God's decision, listen to me, does not refer to God's decision of who would be saved and who would not. It refers to those who God foreknew would receive him out of their own free will and choice. This gets deep, folks. And the chapter will end and straighten it all out. God does not do the electing. God made it possible that all men could be saved. That we all have a vote. But for a man to be elected to be saved is a single vote that every man makes for himself. God does not vote, but he has sealed the election. It has been sealed for God. It is all a God who is all-knowing and eternal. And we are not. Therefore, we strive for the gospel continually. For the salvation of souls. This is our place as man. This is all we know what to do. All we can conceive and do to plant and to water the gospel. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul speaking, I've planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 11 of our text, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Here's the, here's the last uh, God forbid in this, in the book of Romans. God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. In God's wisdom, He has done this. We see that it was a part of God's plan to incentivize Israel as a whole to come to faith in Christ. He just didn't leave them there. He's, he's given them something to provoke them unto jealousy that they might come to Christ. And the Gentiles just happened to become the benefactors as a part of God's plan. Verse, beginning verse 12 of our text, now if the fall of them, if the fall of Israel, the removing of that branch, be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you 
Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may, may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting of away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And you've heard of the phrase, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, technology is a lot like that. We've experienced this. There are some who embrace it, spend $5,000 for the first computer. <laughs> but for the most part, there's a great resistance to it. But after a while, when the fruit of that new device becomes painfully evident, some will humble themselves and move to the new technology. She's got one of these. <laughs> I didn't like it at first. Paul understood this well. The Jewish religion was full of rich tradition, yet they were dead in works. They were dead. But Christianity was alive, real, and powerful. Paul saw the opportunity to see some of the Jews get saved through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the church. Verse 16 through 18, for it is the first fruits, for if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and the root be holy. So are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, speaking to, it's not talking to a person, it's talking of the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root, the Paul makes sure the Gentiles are humble in their position. We understand where we sit. To the fact that we were grafted in as a whole, that salvation's door has been opened wide to the Gentiles through this time. Verse 19 says, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. This is a summary from a Gentile's perspective. And though true to an extent, Paul qualifies that, that there was a self-induced reason for Israel being broken off. It was not God who broke them off. They broke themselves off. It was Israel who made that choice by not believing. I don't believe. Verses 20 through 22. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. We need to listen to these words really closely. If there's anything I want you to get out of this this morning, I want you to hear this. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Now, this is talking about the Gentiles as a whole and the church. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God of them which fell, severity. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. 
This is not talking about losing salvation. This is talking about the prominence of the church. There's a stern warning here. Lest the church like Israel go away from the truth that was delivered unto them. Lest they should become religious and turn to their own righteousness. That the church lose its witness and be cast off. I believe there will be a many, a dead church that will be cast into tribulation and tribulation time while the true church, a remnant of true believers, will be raptured out. It's my belief that we are living in the age of the last two churches. The church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3, 7, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. We have an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. He says in verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I see this as a reference to the time of tribulation. The hour of temptation. There's going to be churches that are just going to go right on in to this because they are just so lost and away from God. You say, how can that be? How can it be that the Jews crucified Jesus? going to happen. He says under the angel of the church of Laodiceans right these things saith the amen the faithful and the true witness the beginning of the creation of God I know thy works and thou art neither hot cold nor hot I would that thou were cold or hot so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes, saith that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. There's a call to the church going the wrong way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is to the church. He's saying, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, again, this is not a call to the unsaved here. Though it will probably be full of them. The, the church will be full of unsaved people. It's a call to the church to return to a relationship with Christ. There's one thing I want to hear you hear in this message is, that, is the importance to be all in for God. 
to lead your children to the Lord. To be strong, to stand in the last difficult days that will come against the church. Remember what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, for thou hast a little strength and has kept my word and has not denied my name. I believe it's in Ephesians 6, having done all to just be able to stand. What a time that's going to be. We need to be prepared for that. It's not going to be easy to keep God's word in the last days. It's going to take our strength. I am not the future, folks. I was called to start this church to continue a remnant, to stand in a gaping gap of an apostate developing church. I can tell you for sure, you are called to carry it on to the next generation. That's your calling. Don't forget that. Don't sit down and rest. You know, Patty and I, and probably all of you can think about this, it just seems to be like, like one thing after the other. The rest, we got something to do. This is happening, that's happening, this is happening. You know what? Maybe just preparing us. <laughs> All we can about do sometimes is stand, be able to just stand on our two feet. God calls that success. Verses 23 through 24, and, and they also, speaking of Israel, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He's able to bring, and He will. He's going to graft Israel back in. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature in a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? God is not finished with Israel. He will graft them in again as a whole. In the millennium, Christ will take the throne and Israel will be with him. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He's telling us the who, what, what. The why, though, is just is difficult to understand how, how God, why God is doing these things things in the way he does them. This is a time for the Gentiles to come to Christ through the church age. That's where we're at now. This is the timing of God until the time of the Jews come in and they be grafted back in. Verse 26 and 27, And all, so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away in godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. In the millennium, Christ will take the throne in Jerusalem and as a whole, the whole, all the Jewish nation as a whole will trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you remember, twelve apostles will have twelve thrones judging the nation. All because it's God's covenant. For this is my covenant unto them. It's His promise and it will come to pass. Verses 28 through 32, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. <laughs> it's hard to talk to the Jews. 
but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. It's all part of, the, it's all part of this plan. He's, he's showing us this plan. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. These are God's plans. He cannot fail. They will come to pass. We learn the who, the what, the when, and the where, but the answer of why. This is where we stop and we're looking into that vast ocean in the middle of a great hopeless desert upon the edge of the treacherous cliff. It is a place where understanding can go no farther. A place where we seem so small and God is so big. A place where we are cautioned to go not much farther. But rather, it's a place to be still. To let all your senses breathe in the majesty of God to give Him all the glory. And now I hope that these last verses will make a whole lot of sense to you. Remember, this is how we are to view God. Verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist will be coming to play. You know, God will not owe us anything. We owe Him everything. It's all of Him, it's through Him, and it's to Him. This is how we are to know God. To give Him glory for everything. To trust in Him. We are definitely one day closer to the Lord's coming. I don't know how close it is. But if you kind of study through the book of Revelation and Mike will get into the churches and so forth and different ways of looking at that, it almost seems that there's progression of age and it seems that the church is like the church in Philadelphia, a true church, and then the church of Laodicea that's just fallen away where he's given a warning. I hope you, church, will take this seriously I recall Jesus when he came into Jerusalem there was a fig tree and he was hungry he saw that it had branches and leaves and he came to look and there was no fruit it said because it was not its time to bear fruit. And he cursed that fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. It doesn't matter what time you think. When Jesus is speaking to you,
you best bear fruit. It's not about us and our timing. It's about Him. We are to bear fruit, much fruit, as we go into these last days. You need to take a look at your children and look at their future and get motivated. Look at those grandchildren. Give every last breath you have to serve the Lord. for your attention. So we've been through the first 11 chapters. And we're going to be entering next week, Lord willing, into the 12th chapter of Romans. And I want to read you the first verse. Remember this part has to do with duty. He said all those in those 11 chapters. We see how we're to see God. And then he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's going to bring us into duty what we need to be doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for all those who've come out. I trust that you, your Holy Spirit has spoken to their hearts and are doing a work in their life, that their relationship has gotten closer to you through this church and through our gathering and all that's said and done, the preaching, the teaching, the fellowship, the singing, the children's program, everything. May it all give honor and glory to you and may it enrich our lives to be closer to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.